Hi, everyone. Let me have my welcome to Woody's from the start. If you don't know me, my name's Mark. I'm one of the ministers here. And a particular warm welcome if this is your first time with us today, if you're joining us from Inspire English. It is great to have you here as we continue our series, our sermon series, in this New Testament letter, uh, the Apostle Peter's first uh, letter. Now, it's becoming increasingly harder to follow Jesus Christ today. So a generation or so ago, it'd be quite normal to call yourself a Christian and go along to church, and chances are you'd be the majority in the majority uh, with your uh, friends and colleagues. But that is no longer the case today. Less and less people are going along to church, and even those that do are thought of as a little bit odd and maybe slightly living in the past. A generation or so ago, going along to school, I was taught um, that Jesus was the way of salvation. He was the one way of getting to God. Nowadays, it would be the height of political incorrectness to suggest there was a right way, wrong way um, to God. That all religions are basically the same, even though they profoundly disagree about who Jesus is and what he's uh, done. A generation or so ago, even if your friends, colleagues disagreed with your Christian beliefs, they would respect you for them. Um, they would have a respect for the Christian life. But again, that is just not the case nowadays. Um, people are increasingly um, looking down their noses at um, orthodox Christian belief, um, particularly when it comes to the areas of the Bible's teaching on uh, sex and marriage. And if you've been following this series with us, you'll know that in some extreme cases now, there are ordinary Christian believers being expelled from their university courses or sacked from their jobs, uh, jobs or in some cases, um, being silenced for normal Christian belief and normal Christian behavior. Um, now that, let me be clear, that's not to hark back to some sort of golden era in the past, uh, nor is it to be overly dramatic, um, but it is just to note how things have changed and therefore how increasingly harder it is to follow Jesus Christ today, and it is why this particular letter of the Bible, this particular book is so relevant for us today, because the Apostle Peter is writing into a context which is very similar to the one we face right now as the society in Asia Minor was beginning to turn against Christians and turn against the church, and society was beginning to pressure Christians to keep their faith private and not to bring Jesus into the public sphere. And if they did, they were being accused, they were being maligned, they were being verbally abused if they spoke about Jesus or continued to live his particular way. And Peter is writing this letter, we're told at the end, chapter five, verse 12, he is writing this so that the Christian would stand fast for Jesus, even when a culture is turning against the church. And he, God wants us to stand fast today as well. How are we to do it? Well, quick summary of where we've been so far. Verses 1 to 12, remember what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. That is always the way with the Christian message. What God has done for us first, not about what we do for him. You may be rejected by society, verses 1 to 2, but you are chosen by God. You are loved by him. You are safe in his hands. You are elect exiles. Not just that, verses 3 to 9, God has given you a living hope that is a certain hope, a certain future when Jesus comes back. This wonderful inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. It can never be taken from you. Verses 10 to 12, you are more privileged than any other person in the world. To be part of God's salvation plan, the prophets long to look into this. Even angels long to look into it. You experience it. That's the first way. 
to keep going with Jesus, to stand firm. Remember what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. Now, verses 13 to 25, it's time for action. It's time for application. It's time for response. Last week, in verses 13 to 16, two central commands. Be hopeful, be holy. Be hopeful because Jesus is coming back, because change is coming. Resurrection life, this world put right again. Be holy. In all you do, holiness means to be separate, to be different, to live as God intends us to live according to his word. That is all by way of recap. Now, in verses 17 to 21, the verses we're looking at today, we get a third central command. I wonder if you predicted it. I did not. Verse 17, look down, live in fear. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. And that word reverent, by the way, is not there in the original Greek. It literally reads, live in fear. I wonder what you make of that. This is the third central command. This is how we're to stand firm as culture comes in. Live in fear. That came as a surprise to me. To live in fear. Isn't one of the purposes of Peter's letter so far precisely to make the readers bold in Jesus, not fearful of Jesus? When you think of Jesus' life and his ministry, what was one of the repeated phrases he kept saying to his followers over and over again? Do not be afraid. Those of you who know your Bibles well, doesn't the Bible say perfect love drives out fear? So why is Peter calling his readers and calling us today to live in fear. How is that possible for a Christian believer, someone who knows their salvation is safe? How can it be a good thing to live in fear? And why is it so important for us to grasp if we're to stand firm for Jesus in the current culture, climate we find ourselves in? Well, look, let's find out as we consider the three reasons Peter gives here in these verses to live in fear. First, live in fear because God judges everything. Verse 17, since, here's the reason why you need to live in fear. The first reason, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially. Now, we have to be so careful here to understand what this verse does mean and what this verse does not mean. What this verse can't mean is Peter is calling us to live in fear of our damnation come judgment day. He starts that verse calling on a father who loves every Christian believer who has chosen every Christian believer before the creation of the world, who has sent his only son to earth to die for us in precisely so we can be assured of our salvation on the final day. The whole of verses 1 to 12 so far have been saying, look, you've got this certain future. There is no way that Peter is undermining that all now by saying, live in fear of damnation. It can't mean that, so what does it mean? Well, it means to live in fear of the one, God himself, who cares so deeply 
how we live our lives for him now. What has just come before in verses 14 to 16, God's saying, be holy because I am holy. I hope you realize God cares massively the way you live your life now. Even though he forgives sin, and even though you confess your sin and can be sure of that forgiveness, he cares massively about our thoughts and our desires and our speech and our action. And a day is coming at the end of our lives when we will be judged for it, for everything. Each person's work impartially. Not judged in the sense of condemned because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but judged in the sense of evaluated, in the sense of assessed. A day is coming when everything will be revealed, when the books will be opened. A day that Jesus speaks about elsewhere in the Bible of either well done, good and faithful servant, or a welcome as someone only just escaping the flames. Which one do you want it to be? I know what I want. And Peter is calling us to live in fear of that reality, not a fear of damnation, but a fear of not grieving God, displeasing him, a fear that one day everything will be exposed. I wonder if you have that sort of healthy fear. One of the things I really appreciated about my father growing up, I'm conscious this is not the same for all fathers, but I really did know that dad loved me. I really did know that my dad was there for me. I felt very secure in my love, no matter how much I mucked up. I knew there was always going to be a place at home. You know, he would never abandon me or forsake me. But just because I was secure of that love and just because he loved me in that way, and actually probably because he loved me in that way, it didn't mean that I could just do whatever I pleased and he let me get away with anything. No, there were rules you know, for living in the house, what it meant to be a son of my father and the Jackson household, and it was quite clear what was right, what was wrong, and there would be consequences you know, if I didn't. And you know what? That gave me a healthy fear towards my father. Totally assured of his love, but fearful of displeasing him, fearful of aggrieving him, disappointing him, fearful of a forfeit of rewards through my bad behavior. That is the sort of thing Peter is speaking about here. Absolute security in us, with our status before God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. But a healthy fear now of not displeasing God through our disobedience, through our ungodliness, not aggrieving him, not disappointing him, not forfeiting any future rewards. Now, how does this help us with the context here of when a society turns against us? How does this help us to live in fear in this way? Well, look, because come judgment day, you are not going to care one iota about the opinion of your mate who is pressurizing you to having that extra drink, which you know is going to be one drink too much. On the final judgment day, you're not going to care at all for the opinion of your boss who is saying, look, just let go of your Christian principles and get that business deal done. The only opinion you will care about on that final day is the one opinion that counts, and that's the opinion of God himself who made you, loves you, and has died for you. And Peter is saying, live in fear, not of damnation, 
but of displeasing God now. Do you have that fear? It's a healthy fear. Do you have it? Do you fear a father who judges each person's work impartially? It is a good thing to fear God's opinion more than the opinion of your friends and colleagues. It is a good thing to fear pleasing him more than pleasing anyone else. That is the first reason. To live in fear now, even as Christian believers who are sure of our forgiveness. Do you see how it can be a good thing? You getting this? Not if you're still awake? Great. Reason number two. Live in fear because of how precious Jesus' blood is. Verse 18. For, do you see how important these linking words are in like letters? For, here's the second reason why you should live in fear. For, because you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ a lamb without blemish or defect. Now, the word precious, if you looked it up in a dictionary, literally means of great value. Um, something not to be wasted or treated carelessly. And that is what, how Peter is describing the blood of Jesus Christ. It is of great value. Actually, it's of infinite value. And the blood of Jesus Christ is not to be wasted and not to be treated carelessly. Now, here's the question. Why is the blood of Jesus so valuable, it's a bit of a weird phrase, someone's blood being so valuable. Well, the verse says, because it is through the blood of Jesus that we are redeemed. Okay, what does it mean to be redeemed? This is a Bible word, this takes us back to the Exodus, this is why we had the Old Testament reading. When God's people are in slavery in Egypt, God promises to set them free. The problem is, this is the problem of sin. And so God's angel of judgment comes through Egypt and comes through every household. And the only way of being rescued and redeemed, set free, is to take a lamb without blemish or defect, to kill the lamb, and to smear the blood of the lamb around the frames of your front door. And as the angel of judgment comes through Egypt, it would see the blood, the substitute, the sacrifice in your place, and God's judgment would pass over. Now, as you go through the Bible story, you realize that the blood of a lamb can't deal with your sins, the people's sin, and it was only a picture of what Jesus Christ would one day do. That is why Peter describes Jesus here as a lamb without blemish or defect, because Jesus Christ is our perfect Passover lamb, who dies in our place for our sin, bears God's judgment in our place as his blood is smeared over the frames of the cross. Such that if you are trusting in Jesus Christ now, then God's judgment passes over you. Now look, there's a lot of assumed Bible knowledge from the Old Testament there, but do you see why Peter is describing Jesus' blood as being so precious? Because it is the only way any human being can be saved. The only reason that you, if you are trusting in Jesus today, sit here with an eternity in heaven waiting for you rather than an eternity in hell is because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Do you see it as this precious? 
No amount of silver or gold can pay for our redemption. This is something only the blood of Jesus Christ can do. The author and pastor Leslie Flynn tells the story of an orphan boy, lives with his grandmother, and the house um, catches fire. The grandmother tries to rush upstairs to save um, her grandson, um, but tragically perishes in the flames. Um, Amazingly, a man walking past sees what's going on, manages to climb up one of the iron drain pipes outside the house, and the boy can jump out the window, put his arms around his neck, and come down to safety. A bit later on, there is a public hearing held to determine who would receive custody of the the child, and as a farmer, there's a teacher that's one of the richest men in the village, each making a claim on the child. And they're all arguing about it, and the boy is just like, eyes remain focused on the floor. Then a stranger walks to the front of the room and slowly takes his hands out of his pockets. And his hands are all marred and scarred. And the room of people gasp when they see what's happened to him. But the boy's eyes light up, and he cries out in recognition, that is the man who saved me, who climbed up this burning iron drain pipe to save me. And he looks up and just runs straight to the man and puts his arms around him. And the farmer, the teacher, the rich man, they walk out the room and you know, his marred, scarred hands settled the issue. Friends, there are so many voices today vying for our attention. Cultural voices pressurizing us to keep quiet about Jesus Christ, saying it is crazy to be a follower of Jesus today. Pitalytically correct voices telling us you, there are many ways to faith. There can't just be one. And how dare you suggest otherwise? There are voices telling you to join in with what everyone's doing. Don't worry, God will forgive you. And perhaps at times there's a quiet voice inside of you whispering to you, are you sure about this whole Christian thing? Now if that is you, will you let the marred, scarred, nail-pierced, blood-smeared hands of Jesus Christ settle the issue for you? because he really does love you. And he really has saved you by dying for you. He has really redeemed, set you free from sin and the eternal consequences of it. And no one else has treated you like this or will treat you like this. Don't listen to the other voices. Listen to the one voice that counts and live for him, and stand up for him, no matter the cost to you today. Live in fear, because of how precious Jesus' blood is. You know, every time we sin, we cheapen what Jesus Christ has done for us. Live in fear of wasting what he has done for you. Live in fear of treating his blood carelessly. It's not a fear of damnation, but it is a fear of giving in to the very things that Jesus gave himself up for. 
Do you have this fear in your life, this healthy fear of not devaluing the precious blood of Jesus Christ? If not, ask God for it. That's what I've been doing this week. Let us ask for this healthy fear in our lives if we are to continue to stand firm for Jesus Christ today. So live in fear because God judges everything. Live in fear because of how precious Jesus' blood is. Thirdly and finally, live in fear because of the privileged position you are in. Glance down with me to verse 20. He, still referring to Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now I have to admit, I've been toing and froing this week whether this is a third distinct reason for living in fear or if this is just a continuation of the um, second reason. Um, No doubt the two things are linked, but I think there's enough of a new thought in Peter's mind to make it a separate point, but look, you disagree let's chat afterwards I'd be keen to get your thoughts what is interesting here in these last two verses is how Peter brings it back to hope so we start in verse 13 with hope we finish in verse 21 with hope and we have fear in verse 17 in the middle and actually I think that shows us how fear and hope are more related than perhaps we realize if you think about it for a moment both hope and fear are related to the future with hope You look forward to something you want in the future with fear. You look forward to something you don't want in the future. And actually, you can see them as two sides of the same coin, one positive, one negative. And the particular thing that Peter is calling his readers to live in fear of here is taking for granted the privileged position that they are in. Do you notice the last three words of verse 20? For your sake. These are incredible words. The very reason that Jesus was chosen before the creation of the world, according to verse 20, the very reason that he was revealed in these last times was for our sake, the sake of every human being who lives after the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ so that we can put our hope and faith fully in him and know the full extent of his salvation plan. And with that privilege, Peter is saying, do not take it for granted. You have a role to play now, not just living up, living for Jesus and speaking up for Jesus, but in sharing the message of Jesus with others so that they can put their hope and faith in God too. The only means of salvation. When Queen Victoria was a child, she didn't know that she was in line for the throne of England and her instructors were getting really frustrated with her because they couldn't get through to her Um, She wasn't taking it seriously, and they couldn't motivate her. Um, She wasn't really fussed about her studies. They didn't know what to do. So in the end, they decided to tell her, one day you will be queen of England. And suddenly her attitude changed miraculously. I'm going to be queen? The The sheer weight of responsibility came over her, and I've got this privileged position. And apparently she whispered back to her instructors, okay then, I'll be good. Not, I'll be good to be queen, of course not, because she would be queen because of this privileged position she was in. And the more she realized it, the more it changed her attitude and changed her lifestyle. And Peter is saying, my goodness, do you realize just how privileged it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ today in these last times? 
Don't take it for granted. Live in fear of taking it for granted. And live for him. The God of the universe, we're in even a more privileged position than Queen Victoria. We have God as Father. This whole world will one be ours to enjoy. And he sends us on mission now to call as many people as possible to put their faith and hope in God too. It's easy to feel the odd one out in your family, in your office, if you are the only one who believes in Jesus Christ. It is easy to feel marginalized, insignificant, if the majority of the talk and banter at home or at work is opposed to the teaching of Jesus Christ. But Peter calls us to live in fear of this privileged position he has given us. And no matter how hard it is and difficult it is to stand up for Jesus and speak up for him, even in those moments, not just for the sake of God and the honor of his name, but also for the sake of these people that they can hear about the message of Jesus Christ too. So look, I hope that is an encouragement to us all here as we continue to live for Jesus Christ today. It might be a bit counterintuitive at first. Live in fear, how does that work? I hope we have a somewhat clearer picture now that it is a good and a right thing to live in fear of displeasing God because he judges everything. It is a good and healthy thing to fear cheapening Jesus' death because of how precious Jesus' blood is. And it is a good and healthy thing to fear taking our privileged position for granted but keep living for Jesus Christ in the weekend. I've been really challenged by these verses this week. I have to admit, I don't tend to have this sort of motive. There are many motivations to live for Jesus. Don't get me wrong. This is one of three commands so far. But how much do I actually live thinking about this fear, this healthy fear? But imagine the difference it would make to our holiness, our godliness, our courage for Jesus to stand up for him, to speak up for him. Do you feel that challenge too? Well, let me pray that we'd have that fear in the week ahead. Let's pray.